Welcome to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed this message by Pastor David Eldridge. Ephesians 2. So last week, Paul is, uh, we looked at two, uh, a comparison he's making. What does God's power look like at work? One in the life of Jesus and two in the life of the church. In the life of Jesus, we see it physically. Jesus is physically raised from the dead. He physically ascends to heaven and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And those things are, that physical uh, act of the Father is parallel in what he does in the, spiritually in the life of the believer, in the life of the church. We're all dead in our trespasses and sins. God raises us to spiritual life in Christ and he seats us with Jesus in the heavenly realms. You're all sitting in this room right now, but spiritually you're seated with Jesus at the right hand of the Father. Today we want to look at uh, the, the tail end of this thought. What is this power uh, expressed in the life of the church? What exactly does that look like? So three verses. Some of these will be very familiar to you. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So looking at those first two verses, 2, 8, and 9, Paul sets up a couple of contrasts. So he says, salvation is by grace, through faith, not by works. And then he says, salvation is a gift of God. It's not of ourselves. So he contrasts the means of salvation by grace, through faith, not by works, or your Bible may say, as a result of works. And then he, he contrasts the, the character of salvation. It's a gift of God. It's not from ourselves. So we'll look at both of those contrasts uh, in succession. First, the means. So just to try to define some terms, massive words in the New Testament, lots of layer. We're not going to be able to unpack all of it. So just really generally, salvation, what is it? We want to think of salvation relationally, reconciled relationship with God. We don't want to fall into the trap of seeing salvation as a one-time transaction. God, there's this one time I prayed a prayer or I got baptized or whatever that was. I had this one experience and that's what it means to be saved. I want you to think about long-term relationship, reconciled relationship with the Father. What is grace? Undeserved favor directed towards us. The good things that God gives us that we don't earn and then we don't deserve. We talked about that a little bit last week. What is faith? Trust. Again, think about faith in relational terms. Faith is trust primarily in Jesus, in his life, in his death, in his resurrection. And this word works, it looks at different ways in the New Testament. When it's tied to salvation, works almost always refers to our efforts to please God. And specifically, Paul almost always has in mind what he would call works of the law. So go back to Exodus, the Ten Commandments, and then all of the other commandments that help explain how you live out the Ten Commandments. When Paul says works, he's thinking about people who are trying to please God by keeping those commands, by maintaining righteousness through following those rules. So salvation, grace, faith, and works. And so what Paul says in this contrast is the salvation, or we're reconciled to God by his undeserved favor directed towards us. And we receive that undeserved favor by trusting in Jesus. It, we, we are not reconciled to God by our efforts to please him. 
even by trying to obey his commands. We're reconciled to God because or by his undeserved favor that he directs towards us. We receive that favor by trusting in Jesus. We are not reconciled to God by our own efforts to please him, even trying to obey his commands. In this second contrast, he says, salvation, it's a gift of God. It's not of yourselves. When I think of gift, I think about the process of giving a gift. There's a giver and there's a receiver. So if I want to give Drew a present, it's my idea. I think of something, I go to the store and buy something, I wrap it, I probably don't, and then I give it to Drew. And Drew just receives it. He just accepts the gift that I'm giving to him. When you think about salvation, think about it in a similar way. It's God's work, not ours. It's a gift from him. It's not of ourselves. It's his idea. It's his initiative. He's the one who reconciles us to himself. It's all the Lord's work. It's all the work of God. Salvation is a gift from him. It's not of ourselves. It's, it's not something that we've thought of. It's not something that we initiate. It's not something that we can make happen. We can't reconcile ourselves to the Father. The Father has reconciled us to him. It's a difference in initiative. And again, it's a difference in who's responsible. He is. Again, we just, we receive what he's done for us. That's what Drew does with the present that I want to give him. He just accepts it. He doesn't have to do anything else. He just has to accept it. That's it. So Paul would say salvation or reconciliation with God, it's his work. It's his idea. It's his initiative. He sees it through. It's not something that we've come up with. It's not something that we initiate. It's not something that we make happen. Our responsibility is to receive it. And so nobody can brag. There's no bragging. Nobody, nobody brags about a gift that they get. Think about the difference in the way you feel if you get a year-end bonus because you hit your numbers, because you performed, versus how you feel if you get a really great present on Christmas morning. It's very different. One of those things you're just thankful for, the gift. One of those things you may honestly feel a bit proud about because it's a recognition of your work. It's a reward for how hard you worked all year. And like you may just justly say, yeah, I, I earned that. I deserved that. Busted my tail this year. You don't feel that way about the Christmas presents. You recognize it's just a gift and I'm just thankful for it. And with Paul saying there's no reason to boast, we'll talk a little bit more about boasting next week when we look at Jews and Gentiles and their relationship. So that's salvation. And there's, there's two different ways of thinking about being reconciled to God. One is by grace through faith, it's a gift. The other is by works and of ourselves. You know that already. Let me give you maybe just a visual to help you lock it in your mind and in your heart. The effect that, that those different paths have on us. One is it, it makes us busy people. And the other is it creates peace or it makes us restful people. If I'm trying to please God based on my own efforts, it gets me tired really quick. There's only two commands. We've said that a thousand times. Love God and love people. That's what he's looking for. What exactly does that look like played out? Think about the Ten Commandments. Those are expressions of loving God and loving people. So let's take an easy one. Don't kill. Like all of, all of us, we can check box, right? None of us have killed anybody. And so we can think, man, we're doing great. I can please God by my own efforts. I have not killed anybody. And then I can read Matthew chapter 5. 
And Jesus says, well, you heard that it was said, don't kill anybody. But I say, if you get angry at anybody, you're liable to go to court. If you call anybody a fool, you're liable to go to hell. And I start thinking, well, I haven't killed anybody. But if calling somebody a fool is the same thing as killing them, there'd be a lot less traffic on Whitlock Avenue. (laughs) I can do the rubber band thing. I'm going to train myself not to call people a fool. And maybe I can do that. Maybe there's some way I can somehow do some work in my heart so that I don't get angry at people anymore. I can't imagine that. But let's say that we could do that. You figure the Zen thing out and you can not be angry at people. You're going to please God by your own efforts. Not killing anybody, that's easy. Not calling anybody a fool, you're working on that and not getting angry. That's just one of them. That's just one of them. Don't get, it, don't get a divorce and you may say, check, I haven't done that. Well, what about not looking lustfully at a woman in your heart? Oh, gosh. It gets, it gets burdensome quick. Wearying, tiresome. No other gods before me. Out. And that's just trying to obey the law. That's not even taking into account what happens when we blow it. If that's you, you you feel frantic all the time. If your reconciled relationship with God is based on your own effort, it doesn't take long to get really, really tired. Worn out, burned out, overburdened. It doesn't take long to get that way. And it's incredibly insecure. The ground is very unstable. If my, rela- my reconciled relationship with God is based on my efforts to please him, what about the days where I don't? What does that say? Is my relationship now in jeopardy? How many days do I have to go before kind of starting back over? It's really a difficult way to live. And thankfully, it's not the way that we're intended to live. Salvation's a gift. By faith, by grace through faith. It's not by works. It's not of myself or yourself. Think about your chair as Jesus. It's his, that represents him. You sitting in that chair, that represents faith. That's trusting in him. The full weight of your body is on that chair. None of you are leaning up on your feet right now. All of you have the full weight of your body resting on that chair. You're not working. It's not hard. You didn't even think about it when you sat down. You just assumed the chair's going to hold me up. That's salvation by grace through faith. It's the full weight of your life on, the, on Jesus, trusting in him completely. No hedging of the bets. It's trusting in his life and his death and his resurrection completely to reconcile you to the Father. Think about the difference being at rest in your chair versus scurrying around trying to keep all of the commandments, not just externally, but also internally. One promotes peace. The other promotes anxiousness, anxiety. One creates confidence, assurance in a relationship with the Father. The other one creates an insecurity and a, there's a, a constant concern Am I doing enough? Am I okay? Are we okay? There's a conclusion that sometimes we can draw from that idea of 
just sitting in the chair, being at rest. And it's like, I'm good. It's what we talked about earlier. This We can fall, and it's people like me that do it, maybe with the best of intentions. We want to see people say yes to Jesus, kind of cross the, cross the finish line there. And so we make it as easy as possible and say, just pray this one prayer. That's all, just pray this one prayer. That's all you got to do. And so what can be communicated to people is that salvation or reconciliation. It's just a transaction. You're just getting a, a, a punch on your card, a stamp on your card that you avoid hell and get into heaven. Verse 10 doesn't let us do that. It flows directly out of verse 9. For we're God's workmanship in Christ Jesus. We're his craftsmanship, or if you like the word, we're his masterpiece. We're a new creation in Jesus, Paul says. And we've been created to do good works. And that may seem a little weird. We just talked about our works not being worth anything and not contributing to our salvation. And now we're saying, well, we're, we're created for good works. How do those two things put to fit together? And it's, it's all about motivation. When it comes to salvation, our works are not just useless. They're counterproductive. Isaiah says they're filthy rags. But when it comes to ongoing relationship with God, I would actually even use the word essential our works are. God has chosen to partner with his church. He's chosen to work through his church. Read through the Bible. God works through his people, which is us now. There's things God wants to do in the world. And he said, for better or for worse, I'm going to do it through us, through y'all. That's what he's doing. And so we're saved by grace through faith. It's a gift. And from that resting, from that sitting in the chair, God says, okay, Let's get to work. Not in order to earn love, not in order to earn favor, not in order to earn acceptance, not in order to earn a seat at the table, but because you already have all those things. From that place of acceptance and love and security and favor, we work in the power of the Spirit. So what is God doing? What are these works that he's created in advance for us to do? I love that picture. We're his workmanship, so he's made us, and he's created good works in advance for us to do, so he's made them. So the same God that's created me has created things for me to do. So the things that he's created for me to do, he's created with me in mind. So it fits. And the same thing is true for you. You're his workmanship, you're his craftsmanship, and the good works he's created for you to do, they, they align with who he's made you to be. It doesn't mean that it won't be a stretch. He absolutely, he stretches us, he wants us to move in faith, but there's a congruence there between who he's made you to be and what he's asked you to do. I can't tell you what those good works are. There are as many as there are people in the room watching online in the church, capital C, but some hints, some things that you can begin to think of. One of the things that God is always doing is forming a people for himself. That's what he's always doing. He's always calling people, drawing people to himself, reconciling them to himself, discipling them, making them look more and more like Jesus. Great commission, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, teaching them everything, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He's always doing that. And so a question for us is, well, how do you, how do I contribute to the Great Commission? God is always forming a people for himself. He wants to use us in that process. So how? A few of you may wind up moving overseas, like some of those families you can find on our website. A few of you may relocate within our city to places that are underserved by the church. You may do that. That may be your thing. 
The few of you may just start thinking differently about your coworkers and recognizing these aren't just people that annoy you and get in the way of you getting your job done. These are people that Jesus died for. These are people the Father is longing to reconcile to himself, and he's planted you right in the middle of them. 40 hours, 45, 50 hours a week, he's put you right in the mix. You don't have to go anywhere. He's giving you opportunity to be soft and light, and maybe you would begin to pray for those folks that the eyes of their hearts would be open. They would come to recognize their need for a Savior. They would know the great love that the Father has for them, and that somehow, in some way, he would use you to communicate that. That may be the way you fulfill the Great Commission. You may just take neighbors to your, I mean, excuse me, brownies to your neighbors. That may be what you do. Somebody new moves into the neighborhood and you welcome them in. That's the way that you fulfill the Great Commission. That's your little slice of the broader work that God is doing. Have you asked him, how do you want to use me to do this? It's not an introvert, extrovert thing. It's not people or not people. It's just, again, he's created you. And there's a way that he wants to use you to cooperate with him and what he's doing. That's one of the things he's doing, forming a people for himself. And the other thing he's doing is establishing his kingdom on the earth. Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. His kingdom is his rule and his reign. We know he won't rule and reign fully and completely until Jesus returns. And we know that our community can look more like the kingdom of God tomorrow than today and next week than this week and next year than this year. Because the gospel is powerful and effective. Because the Holy Spirit's always at work. Because the works of the devil are being destroyed. We know the kingdom of God can advance. The rule and reign of God can take ground. And, he, and God chooses to do that through us. So have you asked, how do you want to use me? How do you want to use me to expand your kingdom? We don't expand the kingdom. It's not ours. God does, but he chooses to work through his church. So God, what, what about it? How do you want to use me? How do you want to work through me? For some of you, it looks like starting an outreach on Delk Road, helping somebody get a birth certificate, running for school board, coaching Little League. I don't know. God, how do you want to use me to express the fact that you, Jesus, are the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords here in my community? It doesn't mean planting a flag necessarily. You're just asking, how do you want to use me? Usually it's mustard seeds. The kingdom starts small. It can seem insignificant and obscure. Over time, those seeds become the most significant things in the garden. But not at first. So no ideas of grandeur here. Just mustard seeds. God, how do you want to use me? But for many of us, we disqualify ourselves. I don't know enough. I'm not smart enough. I don't have enough time. I'm not holy enough. Honestly, I don't really want to. But God is asking. Not as a way of earning his favor. Not as a way of proving that you belong. Salvation or recon reconciliation, it's, it's a gift. It's his work. It's what he's done. We accept that. And then he says, from that place of resting fully on the work of Jesus, from that place of sitting in your chair, let's get to work. There's things to do. You've had that when you were growing up. Y'all have like the, your parents take your kid to work day. That's what it is for us. It's work that God is doing and he invites us to get involved with him. So here's how we're going to close. There's a couple of things I want you thinking about. We're going to take communion. And the way we want you to take communion is to come down the outside aisle.
and they come down the middle. You guys on that wedge, maybe do the same thing. Go down the far aisle and come back down the middle. There's gluten-free communion. There's regular bread. There's the little prepackaged deal. You have whatever you want. Take some of everything. So <laughs> you just come forward and you take communion. We'll have ministry teams up here. If you're comfortable with somebody praying with you face-to-face, they will. They'll wear a mask. Or you can come and kneel here. And these are the two things I want you thinking about. Today, do you need to rest? Is that what you need to hear? Do you need to rest? Many of you, I know, you've been Christians for a long, long time. But there's this thing in us that we, we shift really quickly. I don't know if it's because we're people or specifically because we're Americans. But there's this thing in us. It's very difficult for us to say the full weight of my reconciled relationship is on what Jesus has done. I don't contribute to that. I don't. I just receive what he's done for me. It's a gift, and I didn't earn it. And I, I, I can't pay him back. I just say thank you. I don't know if it's because we desire mutual relationships. I don't know if it's ultimately an expression of our pride. But for whatever reason, for many of us, it's difficult to stay in the chair. We want to put a little bit of weight on our feet. But it starts wearing us out. Galatians 3. You foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you having begun in the spirit? Are you trying to finish in your flesh? And that's what that is. It's this idea of shifting from salvation by grace through faith. It's a gift to, as a result of my works, it's of myself. So you need to rest today. Is that the word of God to you? The invitation of God is just to sit back fully in your chair and receive all that he's done. Communion is a great reminder of the provision that God makes for us. But for some of you, it's different. You need to get to work. That's what you need to do today. You need to get to work. You've been on the sidelines for too long. You may not have ever even heard that God wants to use you. You may feel like that's just for the guys that choose to move overseas or the guys like me who work in a church. And it's just not true. God wants to work through all of his people. It looks different in all of our lives, but he desires to work through all of us. All of us are his workmanship. He's created good works for all of us to do. There's no footnote there. There's no asterisk next to that that says, except for Trent. Doesn't say that. It's all of us. And so do you need to ask today, God, how do you want to use me? I don't know. What do you want to do? If you've got these good works created in advance for me to do, well, I'd love to know what they are because I don't have a clue. And you want to begin to ask him to show you those things. We've got some tools that we can give you. Not now. We don't have enough time. Some things that we can do to help you discover what those good works are. You can reach out to Kim if you want to engage with that. But I would say for, for this morning, this first step is just to begin to ask. God, what are the good works? So do you need to work or do you need to rest? What's God's invitation to you today? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come and speak to us, every one of us, kids, students, adults, in the room, online. I pray you'd speak to us. I pray for those of us who are tempted to believe and then to act as if our reconciled relationship with you is dependent upon our efforts to please you. Would you bring conviction to us right now? Will we hear the incredible news 
that we're reconciled to you because of your unmerited favor that you direct towards us. It's this gift. It's all, it was your idea. It's your initiative. It's your work from beginning to end. All we do is accept. Just receive. Just sit down in the chair. God, I pray for everyone in the room who's leaning in that direction of striving, of trying to earn that which has already been given. Would you speak to them, Holy Spirit? Would you call them back to that place of rest? The dynamic that we see in the Bible going all the way back to Genesis 1 is from this place of rest, then we engage in work. We think of resting from our work, but the biblical pattern is we work from a place of rest. Adam and Eve were created on the sixth day. On the seventh day, God rested, so they didn't do anything. So their first day of existence, they did nothing. They rested, and then they began to tend the garden after that. And so from that place of sitting in your chair of resting, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to those of us who need to get to work. Not to earn, not to prove, not to convince, but to participate, to cooperate, to engage. Would you begin to speak to us, each one of us, what are the good works that you created in advance for each of us to do? Those things that fit us as your workmanship well. How do we cooperate with you in the Great Commission and this forming together of a people for yourself? How do we cooperate with you in the expansion of your kingdom, establishing your kingdom here in our community as it is in heaven? I don't know. Would you show us? Would you speak from the youngest to the oldest? the one who feels the least qualified to maybe the one who feels the most. Holy Spirit, as we take communion, I pray that you would remind us the finished work of Jesus and all that that means. And we would also hear your invitation to engage with you and the work that you're continuing to do on this earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. 